Hi there. Welcome to another episode of Teams at Work, a podcast for the new generation of leaders. Every episode, we talk to an inspiring guest who is running a high-performance team or company to learn about their journey and get actionable tips along the way. I'm your host. My name is Daria Gutnick, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Bunch. My team and I are on a mission to help all managers become great leaders. We're building an AI leadership coach to help you become a world-class leader with as little time invested as two minutes a day. Before we kick it off today, don't forget to subscribe as we're always having super interesting guests come and join us. Hey, everyone. This 10th episode of Teams at Work podcast. Today here with me are Anthony Rio, my co-founder and our CEO. Hey, Anthony. Hey, Daria. And we have a really, really cool special guest today, Amanda. Hey, guys. How's it going? <laughs> Amanda, um, super, super stoked to have you here. I mean, as a quick introduction, I mean, serial founder, part-time CMO at Teal. Recent, you know, you launched House of Wise just at the end of 2020, correct? Yeah. And uh, mom to three. As you said in the sort of like intro, the, the private intro to us, the, the story is the story is crazy and it's definitely not your typical story. Um, super happy to have you here. And I, I'm really excited about the conversation. Thank you. Yeah, definitely not a traditional founder. And I get that kind of question a lot about this like full fractional CMO role and how was I able to like raise capital. And I think now more than ever, it's important when we talk about like underrepresented founders. I'm a single mom. I have three kids. I left my corporate job. So I was building in nights and weekends of House of Wise for the past had the idea about two years ago, but I started really building it um, early 2020 and um, was doing nights and weekends and be- building very publicly, like on Twitter, I was sharing what I was you know, thinking about and doing. But then when it was time to raise capital, I, I raised a pre-seed round with an amazing investor who understood that I couldn't just quit my job, not have health insurance for my kids and, and go all in. But he believed in me. He believed that once we hit certain milestones and I had enough proof points that we were ready. And then it was serendipitous that I met Dave Fano, the founder of Teal. I was doing a masterclass for the Teal community and I just loved what they were doing so much. And he called me a few weeks later and was wanting me to be an advisor, like an official advisor for Teal. And I said, hey, you guys are still, you know, one year old, you're going to be building out your marketing, like strategy, the brand strategy, um, building out the team. What if I like came on two and a half days a week, and I was actually in the team meetings, like really understanding consumer insights and helping build that out. And then we we could transition to an advisory role once I raise my true seed. And so it, that's kind of where we're at right now. I'm I'm fundraising right now. I'm very public about it. And Dave and I are very public about the fact that this fractional CMO type role is is only temporary. Like at some point, Teal needs a full-time CMO. And at some point, House of Wise very quickly will need a full-time CEO. And so it's a lot about just like communication and expectation management, but also understanding that up underrepresented founders won't have the same traditional trajectory. And we need to talk about these untraditional paths more so that it makes it more common and acceptable. I'm so glad you actually hit that point, because I think with Bunch, we also definitely don't necessarily have like the 
picture book story where, you know, you raise pre-C, three months later, you raise C, six months later, you're a series A, and then like five years later, you're IPOing. And sometimes as a female founder and CEO, it's also really kind of like difficult for me not to blame myself and like kind of look back and say like, oh my God, I should have done this faster. I should have done this differently. And while I think there is value in the learnings, I really appreciate your nudge to actually not forget that maybe it wasn't possible at that time to go as fast because resources were limited and like you need um, more creative solutions to kind of like pass from milestone to milestone. I think it's a really, really good um, nudge. but. Hey, tell me and tell us more. I'm, I have to admit, I'm really personally curious. Um, House of Wise, what was your motivation behind it? How did it come alive? Yeah, so I'm born and raised in the Midwest. Uh, I'm from Illinois. I grew up on a very small town. It's like 800 people. Neither of my parents went to college. Very, very traditional family. Um, and had never touched cannabis in my entire life. My whole upbringing was I've always been working like three jobs. I'm a former uh, ACE certified personal trainer. I was an athlete my whole life. I was a basketball player. So never really touched cannabis. Um, fast forward to I'm now at the height of my career. I'm leading brand marketing for the not the what, you know, the global leader in all things weddings. And I found myself navigating a divorce with three kids under the age of four. And it was, it was insane. Like I was going to therapy two times a week and that helped me kind of process things, but the physiological effects of stress, I could not get my cortisol levels under control. I was just like feeling the effects of stress and, and, you know, situational depression and also postpartum and all the things that came with having, you know, three kids back to back. And I realized that I was, you know, one of those women that would go to work all day, come home, you know, do dinner, bath, et cetera, get the kids to bed. And then I'd go to the glass of wine that would turn into two glasses of wine to like come down. And that was affecting my sleep. It would make me groggy and my body was not processing the sugar as I got older. And I felt like shit like all the time and I wasn't working out. And it was just this like vicious cycle. And so I started to research plant-based medicine um, and cannabis just seemed like, like there, there are thousands of years of uh, documented uh, use of the marijuana plant and, and cannabis plant, like for pain regulation, et cetera. And so I, I started microdosing and started using CBD during the day. And it helped immensely. Like I cut out drinking. I was feeling better. My anxiety was getting under control. And yet I still felt like there was this massive stigma because I'm like an executive at a big company and I'm a mom of three little kids. And so I, whenever I realize that there's a stigma that shouldn't be, I kind of force myself to lean into that and talk about it more, even though it's uncomfortable and it's, uh, not always fun to get the backlash first of, you know, my family or or general public. But but I thought it was really important because it helped me. And so I started House of Wise. I started researching um, different farms, understanding the process, understanding the like legalization, but also just regulations in the CBD world because CBD is federally legal, but there's still a lot of uh, barriers to entry. 
And I wanted to make the most reliable, trustworthy product for women like me who are trying to quote unquote, you know, have it all, but realize they need help. And so we have three product lines. We have sleep, sex, and stress. And everything has active ingredients. CBD acts as this like beautiful carrier and it heightens active ingredients. And so our products are all originally formulated. I worked on them with a team of chemists for over a year. And um, yeah, we launched in December. So we are officially three months old. (laughs) Amazing. And I can't wait to actually try it out since now being kind of in lockdown in Europe and then waiting to get back to the US to actually be able to to give it a try. But two follow-up questions. Um, You mentioned that you microdose. Tell us a little bit more about like what exactly that entailed or like what was it just out of curiosity. And the second question would be around the three product lines and the active ingredients. Like what's the difference when it comes to CBD between like things you kind of like use for uh, improved sleep versus anti-stress versus for sex? So it's really important to understand that whenever, whatever you're using, whether it's THC or CBD, dosing is important. Like, and every person is different. There's not going to be like one universal dose that works for the three of us. And the way that I explain it to people is it's just like alcohol. Like I'm what I like to say, a one drink wonder. Like if I have a full drink of something, I'm tipsy. I process alcohol in a very weird way and that I get drunk very fast. And, um, it depends on, did you just eat? Did you, you know, work out that day? Like whatever, there's always like a chemistry body makeup that dictates how you're going to respond to anything that you're putting into your body. Same for THC and CBD. So microdosing for me was all about understanding how my body reacted to different strains and, and different doses. So that was really important to me to understand, okay, if I wanted to be able to like truly relax and not get like, like a head high or a buzz, like which strains worked for me. And that led to understanding also like CBD as a whole. I mean, CBD is obviously, um, extracted from the hemp plant. Uh, that's how it's federally legal. It has to be extracted from a hemp plant, we use full spectrum, which means it has, it contains all parts of the plant. So there is THC that gives it that kind of what they call the entourage effect, meaning you will feel it because all the parts of the plant are working together, but there's no psychoactive. So with CBD, you don't get the head high. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the origin of me learning about the different parts of the plant and actually studying. And our, our farm is actually an amazing uh, Israeli company. They they basically like lead all things medical cannabis in Israel. And then they brought their farming technology to outside Denver. Um, and I met with them and it's an amazing family owned operation. And uh, yeah, they do it all in house so they can actually control the quality and consistency. Yeah. Super cool. And so what's the difference when it comes to like stress, rest, sex? Why, why the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh Sleep, sex, stress all have CBD in them, full spectrum CBD at different um, quantities, milligrams. So sleep is melatonin plus CBD. And within 30 minutes of taking it, you feel your whole body, you know, relax and and prepare for bed. And it helps because at the end of the day, if your cortisol levels are too high, you're not naturally producing melatonin. And this CBD helps suppress cortisol um, release. And so that's the interesting part about CBD. Um, 
the thing about all three of the products that I love is it's all about intentionality and routines. Like if you take the sleep product or you take the sex gummy, you're mentally telling yourself that in 30 to 45 minutes, something is going to happen in either of those two categories. And so now I have 30 minutes to kind of prepare myself. And so for me, it's been intentional around the sleep one because now I put my phone away after I take my drops or a gummy for 30 minutes, my phone is off. I go take a bath. I go do my face routine. I will try to read a book and I feel it happening. And I have no desire to look at my phone, which we all know is not good for us anyway, right before you're going to bed. The sex gummy has three active ingredients. It's called horny goat weed. It's a Chinese herb. Um, it truly, it's barren wort root, but it's called hor- horny goat weed, uh, maca root and ashwagandha. And all three of those together help increase libido, uh, increase lubrication. And the CBD gets you out of your head, which is kind of the most important part for most women, because we can still be thinking about like our to-do list in the middle of sex, like let's be honest. And then stress has L-theanine plus CBD. And L-theanine is an amino acid that helps with focus. So I literally put it in my coffee every morning because the CBD takes off the jitters. The L-theanine helps me to focus on the task at hand and the CBD just gives me overall body calm. So that's, uh, that's the, those are the products. Super cool. Thank you so much. Uh, really, truly, truly interesting. Uh, I have to admit I was (laughs) personally curious. So yeah, can't wait to try it out. Amanda, what are your customers saying about the, about the products? And the, the second question is, of course, where does the name come from? Yeah. Okay. So we've been live for three months and this is the thing that keeps me going every single day is just when I get a testimonial from someone saying they hadn't slept while all of the pandemic and this, they're finally getting healthy sleep. They're getting eight hours of sleep a night. Um, we even had the founders of eight sleep, try the gummies and they could see with their, with their sleep pod, like they were in the green, which was so cool to get that quant side. And then we're getting, I mean, I don't know how like G rated this podcast is, but we have women that are, well, I had one woman who is going through chemotherapy and she had no sex drive. And so she started taking the sex gummies and she said it like literally changed her relationship. And so it allowed her to have, you know, libido again. And then the second one, we had a woman who's like, the way she said it was, I'm normally an Audi, now I'm an innie. So you can like understand what that means. Uh, we'll keep it G-rated. But, um, but women are actually enjoying sex with or without a partner. But also it's giving them per- permission in a safe environment. We have like a Slack group. We do Wise Wednesday Hangouts. It allows us to talk about all the dimensions of us as women, like just because I'm an executive or just because I'm a mom doesn't mean I don't want to experience pleasure and joy. And so kind of opening up that space for women to talk about this and it's helping our sex gummy is actually our most uh, viewed product. And so you can see that women are very interested in getting something to help them in that department. And then the stress one, the stress drops are actually the most ordered because I, I think a lot of people are dealing with the stress of life right now, whether you have kids or not, everyone was affected by the pandemic. 
And even just sitting on Zooms all day is stressful. Like we were not made to just sit and stare at a computer and not have human interaction. And so we're getting so much positive, uh, you know, testimonials about the stress products and just like bringing them into their everyday life. So the name uh, House of Wise is I was in India right before the pandemic hit. I was working there and I was fortunate enough to still go on that trip. I was managing our India brand for the knot. And I was sitting there thinking about this company and what it was going to mean to me and to to women. And I started to research women in, in history, just like who were pivotal figures. And I stumbled upon this woman, Brownie Wise, who she is not well known, but she was the creator of the Tupperware party. And for those that don't know what the Tupperware party was, it was after the war. Earl Tupper created this like kitchen storage thing that you would put leftovers in. But Brownie Wise realized there was an opportunity for women to come together, sell it to each other, make money for their families. And that was the start of really direct selling. But she grew that company immensely. And then when she asked for an executive seat um, and a promotion and a raise, Earl Tupper fired her because she had already done all the work. And then he sold the company a few months later and she got nothing. And so I felt like I needed to honor her because there are many women who do a lot of the grunt work in companies, in families, and then they're not legally or or otherwise, uh, you know, allowed to reap the benefits of it. And so that I, I that story was very near and dear to my heart um, from some of my past. And I wanted to name it after her. So Brownie Wise, House of Wise. That's amazing. So the reason I wanted to ask about the name is because I knew there was for sure a story behind it. And I've actually never heard of that story. So I think that's that's um, that is amazing. But back to your story then. Um, you know, I, we were doing a lot of research on you, not, not the creepy research, of course, but you have tons of really cool stuff out there about House of Wise. You're, you're, you did, I watched a couple of podcasts you did. You had an amazing Forbes article too. Um, I, I read the entire thing. The story is, the, I think the story is amazing, but also your perspective on work is also um, really interesting. And I know there was, uh, there was something you wrote, you, you wrote something that was really interesting to us, which was, I don't believe in balance. Um, I don't believe in balance. And so our question to you is, of course, how do you, how do you stay sane, productive, happy, um, and would love to hear all the new norms you've established for yourself, House of Wise, your team, particularly since the pandemic hit? Yeah, um, I, I don't believe in balance. And I think when you shift your mental framing in life to be around, like, there are no rules, and every rule that is like, quote unquote, in front of you, like that we're abiding by. That was put there by someone who may or may not be as smart as you. And there was some benefit to, to them to put that rule in place. I think the nine to five is a great example. Like that was put in place when we were in factories, um, even the construct of weekends and weekdays. Like who we no longer, we work seven days a week in our own rights. 
So why does Monday at noon dictate anything to anyone? And I had this realization, you know, a few years ago that these are all just constructs that someone put into place. And once I freed myself of believing and adhering to all of those, it opened up this new way of looking at how I spend my time, how I think about my life and how I build a team and how I manage people. And I'm a firm believer that I will give everything to the thing in front of me and enjoy it and live in that moment. I like as a mom, I'd rather be a completely focused, present, happy mom, you know, two hours a day than like this crazy running around multitasking context switching person, you know, four hours a day. And I'd rather give all of my attention to my company for the time that I have and then shut my computer, know that I did my best work during that time that I allotted for. And then I go work out and I allow myself that break. And I don't believe in guilt. Like if I truly adhere to giving my all to the thing that's in front of me, that when I shut my computer, there's no guilt. Like I gave everything I had for that time that I allowed for. And now I'm moving on to my next thing that I know I need to do. And that is kind of how I view things. Like I, I go to sleep. So I, I truly don't work after like 5.30 p.m. because I have time for my kids. And then I need time to recharge myself and to let my brain kind of come back and start thinking about big picture things again. And I go to bed every night at 9 p.m. And I'm, I'm a fun robot, but I, I adhere to these things that I know make me perform at my maximum capacity. When I was going through my divorce, I needed to leave work. On the days that I had my kids, I wanted to leave work at four because I wanted to go spend time with my kids the days that I had them. And there was like, at first this like stigma. And at first I would like scoot out and pretend that, you know, oh, I'm going to a meeting. And then I'd be like, you know, running to the door. And then I'm like, that is so stupid. Like I got my work done. I know I'm going to log back in later because, you know, I am leaving at four and I'm going to say, Hey guys, I'm going to go be with my kids right now. I'll be back on at this time. And it did two things. It alleviated like the conversations that could be having behind my back about what I was doing. And two, it managed expectations. And it led me to this like new lens of managing people about outcomes versus output. And I have a touch base with everybody on my team. We have like our set times of when we have our one-on-ones and when we have big team meetings. And then otherwise, every week I'm managing expectations of like, what is... what is top of mind for me every single week? Like, what are the things that we need to push forward? And then we call our like team because it's house of wise, we call them roomies. And every roomie has their own room that they're responsible for, which is their like, you know, area of expertise or domain. And so then we have OKRs by room. And it's like, if you know your objective and how, what key results I'm looking at to define success of that metric, I don't care how you spend your time. Like if you want to spend the whole day at the park with your kid and then come back and work on your stuff from five to eight, as long as you have an update for me and you know you're moving that forward by the time our one-on-one is happening, I don't care. Like we should all enjoy living this life that we have. And so it's a different way of viewing it. And I know that there's a lot of controversy over that, but 
I find that my team works harder for me because they know that I trust them. I'm like, it sounds like a really great life to have, to be honest. And I really think that I, I like all of us uh, on like all of us a bunch, I think, can definitely um, learn from that. And specifically, I think me personally, I definitely wish I would have more nights at 9 p.m. So really, truly inspiring and great to hear that as an early stage founder who is in fundraising, you actually manage that. And it really gives me a lot of hope. The only way we're going to like remove these stigmas and double standards and this like years of hustle porn and, and the like, you must work 80 hours a week or else you're not taken seriously in the valley or whatever, all that stuff that has been ingrained in our heads. Again, those are all societal constructs. There are many CEOs that have good work-life balance. They just don't talk about it. And so we just need to shine more light on the fact that you are still a very good CEO and founder if you take care of yourself. And I do feel like the tide is shifting in that first-time founders, what, what most people don't realize, like, yes, 90% of the companies fail. And so if you keep that in mind, it's like your mental health is probably the most important thing. And when, you're, when someone is investing in an early-stage founder, they're thinking about, is that founder able to handle the ups and downs? Because you are going, there are going to be days where you're like, we only have like two months of runway left. What the heck are we going to do? And do you have the mental stamina and the emotional stamina to manage that stress? And so for me, like if I were to ever become an investor, I'd look for someone who can manage the stress well. And I'd understand like, how do you you know, find balance? How do you recharge? How do you know when you're burning out? And I think that we've glorified this idea that working 80 hours a week is healthy and going to lead to a successful company. When there's no stats on that, there's no data that the 80 hour a week founder got to something faster or more. And also like, I know I'm probably one of the most efficient people with my time. And so Eight hours of my day is probably like 12 hours of someone else's day because my intense ability to like focus and finish on big projects. And so I just like, I, I believe that we have to just continue to shed light and more founders have to be real about what it means to be, have mental health as a founder and, and, and navigate the ups and downs. But it's not easy. I mean, I still you know, think about it when I, you know, I'm taking my kid to the park in the middle of the day because I only have them, you know, a certain amount of time. It's like, do I post this picture now? Are they going like, yes, you still think about it. But at the end of the day, did I get, did I hit my milestones? And if yes, the company is growing and, and we're still going. So it's hard. We all just have to be in it together. Yeah. Yeah. It perfectly makes sense. And I think yet is so hard to achieve. I think we've been talking about this approach to work for a few years now, right? Like that's at least, um, Whenever future of work came to be, don't remember when that was. Definitely is here now, I think. <laughs> but um, I think it's been kind of like the, the the idea for a very long time, and yet we have such difficulties to actually living up to it. And I recall, by the way, super um, hyped Twitter follower of yours, of course. Uh, read lots of the stuff you post, and also try to engage. And one of the tweets that you posted was actually really um, resonating with me, which went like this. Human culture is bigger than hustle culture. I will hustle when I'm capable and rest when I need it. Pushing beyond my capacities leads to burnout and friction. Rest can increase velocity 
she says to herself. <laughs> and you <laughs> you also pointed out that kind of when you reflected on your time off that you took um, earlier this year, that you often feel stigmatized by the hustle porn culture, especially being a founder now. And that you also feel uncomfortable kind of like posting pictures when you rest because you kind of have this in the back of your head. Well, I have a lot of people following me, also my investors or potential investors and um, the judgment that comes with it. Tell me a little bit more about this, because when I read this, I was I literally never talked about this to anyone. But like I have this since years. I'm like so much less active on social media when I'm like off because I really don't dare to even showcase like, oh my God, I went for a walk and I was with my partner and it was before the sun came down and nobody can know because I'm fundraising right now. So I'm definitely not a good role model in this, but um, yeah, anything you can share on how to actually deal with this stigma, um, definitely super welcome, I think. I, I couldn't agree more, Amanda. And I think just to the to this cause, I think it's important to say we also as a company and a team just took a couple of days off together because of a big milestone we hit. And we even had I had an investor write me today saying, how was your week off or how are your days off? How are you feeling? And I think it's so important. It makes you feel so good to have people like that support you as a I think as a team, but also as a set of founders, knowing that on day three, day three of weekdays, not that, you know, the week is anything we have to pertain to. Um as a societal constru construct, but after day three, you feel the energy come back and you like, I got to get back to work because that next thing we're going to do is going to be 10x better than if I tried to do it before taking those days off. Feeling that again is amazing. And of course, having people, investors in an early stage context support you is just, um, it's, about as, it's about as good as it gets, right? From a founder perspective or as a leader perspective. Because when when we do have the downs and the roller coasters, knowing that you have your co-founders there to support you, but also your investors, that that can literally make the difference. Just wanted to touch on it. Yeah. Oh my god, I love that. Yeah, that feeling. I came back after this week off. I woke up on Monday, and it was as if someone literally recharged my batteries. Like I was so pumped about where we're going, and I had new thoughts about things that I hadn't had before. And I was just like ready to go. And I think you're right. Like I would, if I would have not taken that week off, I would be slower and not as like pumped because I haven't recharged because I, I hit a milestone. And I did the same thing. And I think it's important. Um, no one talks as much about who your investors are. I think when you're raising capital, there comes a point where you're like, okay, we just need the check. We just need the money in the door. I just want to like keep moving. Like, let's just get the cash in. But finding people who understand you and your values is multitudes more important than just getting the check. Because those are the people like it's a marriage. Like you are building something for seven to 10 years. Who do you want on your on your bench? Who do you want coaching you? And those people need to share the same values as you. And so it's important for me when I, I select investors that they have other female founders that they've invested in. They have other female founders with kids or they themselves are an active parent um, because Otherwise, someone just doesn't get it for me. They don't understand why I'm not on at 515. It's like, I have to feed my children. Like, I, they need food. 
and just like those basic things that you need someone to understand, which sounds so hilarious, but it's really important that people without kids don't understand that all the time. I totally get it. Like, I think um, we also um, had the beauty of having a parent on the team and I totally can relate to what you're saying, because I think as a company, as a team, we were always very open and very kind of supportive towards parenting, obviously. And then we were lucky enough to like get someone on the team who was extremely passionate and um, about what they were working on and like really uh, hardworking as well. But we definitely had these hours where like between four and seven or eight, seven thirty or eight p.m., like. I can't be on and then I'll come on at like eight, eight thirty or nine again and then I'll be there for another two to three hours. And and it worked in the end, but it definitely requires an intentional, this is okay. <laughs> it's just what it is. Like you need to plan around it. And I think one thing that we learned as a team as well over this past 12, 18 months is due to time zone differences being much more of a thing right now because we're kind of all stuck in our like locations and geographies and it's not as like oh i'm gonna be in new york again in six weeks so let's do this then but more like okay we are here like i'm six hours before you you're six hours uh, behind and i think it's the same thing we just have much kind of clearer constraints around these other times that we need this is when you're available and this is when you're not available and like over map over mapping or like overlapping this and steering it in a meaningful way just requires intentional design and and acceptance that this is the way things are. Um, And you don't need to exclude people from job recruitment processes or whatever, just because they have constraints in a way. Yeah. In order to make this work, we have to have planning and communication, like doing an early morning podcast, totally fine. If I was doing it at the last minute and I had to scramble to know like where, you know, are my kids going to be good? Like, that that is hard and so i think the this like future of work concept requires high communication and also forward looking and planning which for many people is so hard for them to commit to like time blocks and to say like hey on fridays we are going to be working 7 a.m to noon because we need to have three team meetings with people on this side of the you know the hemisphere and and i think that you're totally right it it can happen, but it changes the way that we think about the nine to five again. Like that is not a thing. Exactly. The core hours. Like I don't, I, I was wondering this the last couple of months, Anthony, as well. Like, do we have core hours? Do they start an hour, the PST time zone? And how do we like actually define them across? Because we spread across like CT, EST and PST at this point. And it's really kind of like, the advantage is that you cover more space for your users, but the disadvantage is that your core hours literally are like basically the hours you're together and that may be only three. And I, and I think, eight. Amanda, I'd love to hear your perspective on this too, but to Daria's point, I think it actually only accents or emphasizes what you said before, which is the outcomes over, um, over just sort of like inputs. Because when you're distributed like that, you basically have to ask yourself the questions. The constraints are so present. You have to ask yourself the question, okay, but what is it actually going to take for us to hit the outcome uh, that we want? Like, what is that KPI? What is that goal? Okay, we're actually going to need X amount of overlap time. And as you just said, maybe Fridays, we need to do seven to 12 because that's what that constellation requires. You know, that's at least what it's sort of getting us in the groove of doing. And, and yeah, Dari, the core hours concept is, it's, it's, it's bygones or bygones, like it's the 95. It, it's, a, it's a lost concept in that sense. Yeah, I totally agree. And and understanding async versus 
you know, what kind of communication method you're going to be using as a team and every team's going to be different and who needs instant, you know, responses versus like to me, Slack is sometimes overwhelming because a message gets lost so fast. And that for a parent, if you're offline from 430 to 730, you spend almost 40 minutes going back through the backlog of all the messages. And it's it's not actually more efficient because you can't find where you, you know, are needed and how to catch up. And so they're talking through each team's communication. But I, I love how you just said it of, you know, looking at the outcome that you're all charging for and deciding what inputs or resources are necessary or touch points are necessary and how much overlap time. Like there might be times in the day where for five hours this day, we're going to be on Slack and we're saying that, hey, this is our Slack time. We're going to put it in the calendar so that way we're all active on Slack because we need to push something forward and we are probably going to need a little bit from everybody. So again, it requires a lot more planning and forward thinking of what goes into a project. And I know we have like many, many more questions left, but I want to make sure that we um, talk about a very important one. Um, yeah, I, I, I think we, we started speaking about this actually as we jumped on this call, uh, Miami and all the hype around it. So you've just spent recently a few, uh, few days um, in Miami and you mentioned that something magical is happening over there. So tell us more about that. How, what, why? Um, yeah, what have you observed? Yeah, so... I never in a million years would think that I'm going to be moving to Miami. I have lived in New York City for the past 11, 12 years, had all three of my kids there. I was a New Yorker for life. Um, like I was in it. Like I, the misery loves company. Like we're in it. You, it's the city you love to hate, but you just love it and you can't leave. Then COVID hit and, you know, I needed more space. New York by design is not made to be in your house with kids all the time because you live in a tiny apartment. So we left. We I, I brought my kids to Charlotte, North Carolina, got a house, and then saw a lot of people moving to Miami, uh, people that I knew or people that I tangentially knew on Twitter. And it, it made sense in my mind. I'm like, yeah, why wouldn't you go somewhere where it's tropical and you can walk and, and run every day and be outside 24 seven. And so I went there and what, when I said like, there's something magical happening, like it reminded me of when I first moved to New York in 2009 is when the tech scene was really heating up and you were constantly being connected to another founder. Like someone was like, Oh, you got to talk to this person. Oh, you, this investor would love to talk with you. And it was just this like constant buzz and connecting and everybody was just excited because that was when I was doing my first company. And it was so fun. You met so many cool people and you're having a constant, in, interesting, um, highly intellectual conversations about people building really cool shit. And when I was in Miami, I felt that like everybody was like, oh, so-and-so just moved here. You should talk to them. Oh, this VC is you know putting an office here. You should talk to them. And it was just this like, energy that you just felt. And then on top of it all, like I had this hilarious thing happen. So I've been like following crypto for many years and I I'm trying to understand and learn about NFTs and I'm in a juice shop 
with a, a guy, Will um, Weinrob, who I was just on his podcast and we went for a walk and he was showing me around the area. And we started talking about NFTs. And this guy like sitting in the corner on his phone is like, oh, are you guys on, you know, NBA Top Shot? And then they just started talking about it and they exchanged numbers. And all of a sudden we're talking about NFTs and we sit down and it was just like, oh, this is like this energy that everybody wants to be a part of this whole thing. And there's really smart people down there and you're in a tropical environment. So it just feels like a win-win. It's really cool. And I think you've mentioned safety in the beginning of the conversation and like kind of what's been happening in New York in the past couple of months. How was that aspect? Like, did you feel safe? Yeah. I mean, I don't know the different parts of Miami very well. And I will say like, I didn't, I, I kind of, stayed in in two very distinct parts like I was staying in, in Miami Beach for the first week and then I went down to Coconut Grove so I didn't venture to a ton of areas that I just didn't know but having lived in New York City um for over a decade and then every time I've gone back since I definitely have noticed there is there's far less people and the the safety of New York City comes from crowds right like you're constantly in a crowd, like getting on the subway at midnight. I would never have thought twice about that because there's tons of people on the subway at midnight. And so if something were to get scare you, you could literally go with a group of people. That's not the case anymore. There are not that many people there. And so the subways are more empty. The streets are more empty. I was like walking down 14th street at 8 PM at night on like a weekday. And there was no one. And it was just scary as a woman. And then to top it all off, like to have kids by myself walking around New York City, it just, um, I think we're like, we've got to figure out how to bring the crowds back to New York City and then it will start to feel safer again. But that's, again, that is just like my, my opinion. I, there are tons of New Yorkers that are there. My friends that are like, it's fine. It's fine. We're, we're fine. So and Amanda, are you running? Uh, is it is it safe to say you're obviously running House of Wise remotely now, distributed? Do you have, are you going to stay this way? Like, what is your future? What are your future plans? Are you going to run it from Miami? Um, that leads me up to my next question, which I'll ask in a second. But like, what's the what's the current thinking? Yeah, we're a small team, so there's only three of us full time. So super small team, and we're in Texas. Uh, I think she's in Montana. <laughs> like I, I, and the, and then I'm in Charlotte right now. So yes, we're all over the place and we will stay that way. Like I focus more on people than location. I, finding the right person for your, your company, your mission, your culture, that to me far outweighs the location. Are there synergies and fun? Like when you're working together? Yes. But also it's a distraction to me. Like I go into my zone and I prefer to not have someone talk to me when I'm in my thinking time. So yeah, we're going to do retreats. Uh, we're going to try to shoot for a fall retreat where we bring everybody together. And I think that that's going to be the future of us, like getting together, like truly once a quarter for like a few day sprint where we realign on where the company is going, remind like what the key objectives are for that next sprint and then, you know, bond and, and bring everybody back together. But otherwise, we'll be fully remote. Awesome. And then that just queued up the the like sort of the wrap up question on that topic would have been like, it, it sounds like the last couple of years have really crystallized into a lot of learnings that are leading to a move to Miami, all sorts of huge changes. Are there any other any other 
like super, super important learnings that you want to leave our audience with that just have really defined you as a leader and really just sort of basically set you up to, to, to be with House of Wise and build it the way you're building it today? At the end of the day, like my mantra that keeps me going is I care so much about people and like their lives and are they living their best life? And whether that's the mission of House of Wise and empowering women to be in control of their sleep, their sex, their stress, um, all the way to the team that's helping me build this, do they also feel in control of their sleep, their sex, their stress? Like, are they living the best life that they could be? And what I've just found is the more you care about the human on the other end of a transactional like uh, uh, attachment, their their loyalty is is 10x like whether it's an employee or a customer when you take the time like i'm still responding to dms and and emails from customers and yes it's becoming not so scalable but i care if someone takes the time to dm me on instagram i'm going to respond and thank them and see if there's something that they need and like that increases their loyalty. And so just caring about humans, like back to the basics of, are they okay? Are they functioning properly? Are they focused on their mental health? Like if you actually take that first view, the other stuff falls into place more easily. But I think it's so hard in a transactional like environment to be like, what's the next thing we got to get done? What's the next thing we got to get done? Versus like, everybody okay? Like, does everybody feel like they have the resources from a human perspective to, to continue working their best? So that's my takeaway. Very wise. <laughs> Thank you. I do have my bonus question, which I love asking inspiring guests, because um, first of all, I can recommend everyone follow Amanda on Twitter now. Um, it's really a great ride. You will learn a lot. <laughs> but on that topic, who inspires you? So whom do you follow that you actually feel you are learning a lot from? And if you listen or read something recently that really inspired you as well and moved you and you think our audience should know, hear about, then that's the moment to share. Um, yeah. So who inspires me? So this is like a non-traditional answer. I hadn't really thought about this one, but so I'm more inspired. I, there's like always that phrase of compare, try to always compare yourself up to like where you want to go. But I'm more inspired by people who are like more junior to me or, you know, have less than me. Like I grew up, my dad is like the town plumber and I have this like vivid thing where I used to go on jobs with him and I would watch how people treated him. And that would dictate a lot of my like, ideologies around how humans interact with other humans and who a person is based on how they treat someone who is appears you know lower than them and um i think that we spend a lot of our time with blinders on to the people who are helping us and i learned so much from like the women that are helping me raise my kids right now and teaching my kids and I think it's, a, those are the people that inspire me because they're supporting me and, and what I'm doing and I care about them. Um, and so I would just like, if I could leave something with people that are listening, if you go through a day and you don't, you cannot in your head picture the face 
of one person that like gave you your coffee or waited on you at a, you know, a restaurant, like you're missing out on a huge opportunity to learn about humans and, and honestly, consumer psychology, because those people are probably the consumers of whatever you're building. And so I think that that's a a big thing for me. And the second one, I actually have a book that I'm reading right now that was gifted to me in Miami. It's called The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. And I am freaking obsessed with this book. I started reading it and I was like, this explains how I view my life, but it feels so like perfectly explained. So highly recommend it. Code of the Extraordinary Mind. Um, Antonio for gifting it to me. Awesome. And we'll link this in the description of the podcast episode so everyone who is interested can check it out. And that's the end of it, actually. Thank you so much, Amanda. It's been an incredible uh, hour almost. Um, And as always, I learned so much. I really am extremely grateful that you responded to my message. I really, really feel uh, very, very um, kind of special that uh, we got this time with you. I know you're extremely busy and I am so glad that we can pass many of the learnings and the lessons you've collected and made over the past couple of months and years uh, with our audience. So all the way gratitude. Thank you so much for spending the time. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Amanda. Thanks for listening to Teams at Work. Let me know what your thoughts are on today's episode. You can find me on Instagram at Daria Gutnick and start a conversation there. At the beginning of the show, I mentioned that my team and I are building an AI leadership coach to help you become a world-class leader in just two minutes a day. It's coming out very soon on the Apple App Store. If you want to get early access, though, head over to bunch.ai and simply sign up. And thanks again for listening. I'm your host. My name is Daria Gutnick. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Bunch. If you liked today's episode, make sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.